0: You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott.
1: Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey, I'm Christy.
0: I'm fucking irritated by motorcycles and fireworks.
1: And I'm Amber. (laughs) That's That's an awfully weird name. Did that even fit on the birth certificate?
0: It's Arabic.
1: <laughs> anyhow so uh, we are here this week with some of your favorite historical true crime doing it a little different this week uh, we decided that we would pick out of our 80 it's gonna be over 80 tinies over on the patreon that is old tiny crimey's we decided we would each pick our favorite that we have presented to the other two, because there's something a little different about picking a tiny versus picking a topic for the main episode. Because when I'm picking a topic for the main episode, there's other things that factor in because we all do our separate research. But when I'm picking for a tiny, I'm thinking of those little like fun surprises along the way that I get to enjoy spilling to you guys. And so those are the things that I look for. And so that I think is what makes them a little, a little different from our normal content. And so we're going to be presenting these to you guys, but with each of them, we'll have a little discussion beforehand about why we picked that one out of all the tinies that we all have done, why we picked that one. And maybe even a little discussion from the other two about um, you know, just basically just endless praise. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so so yeah, and if you're interested, you can check it out over at patreon.com slash old timey crimey link is, of course, in the show notes. And for $5 a month, you can get four tinies per month plus our extra extra big bonus monthly episode where we do something a little different every time i have to start thinking about what we're gonna do for this month or what we might do you guys can also present ideas too if you want every once in a while i just go
2: blank
0: i don't think 1950s transformers related crime is gonna settle well
2: yeah i don't think there's that many of them no yeah if, if there's
0: zero that might be hard yeah well, I bet somebody, I bet somebody killed somebody over a soup can in Japan between 1945 and 1950, and I can link that into transformers from there.
1: Yeah, you could probably you could probably manage that. So, if we had no can, d- it'll be you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Soup cans we, transformers related.
1: <laughs> we had no discussion beforehand about what order we were going to do these in, so I'm just going to go ahead and go first.
0: Um, you bitch. <laughs> I know,
1: right? I'm just—I'm a rotten, horrible person who is still going first, no matter what you say. So, my tiny that I picked that is my favorite is the story of Mall Cutpurse. This woman led such a wonderfully—she she did her own thing way. She did not give one damn what other people thought, which uh, I can't ever do that. So I will (laughs) go ahead and praise her for that. And yeah, she was a criminal, but she was really just living life her own way by her own standards and managed to bust some cultural norms in the process, played some funny pranks, had a play written about her. I mean, That's and then got on stage during the play and was like arguing with the audience. I love that.
2: (laughs) You got it all wrong. Exactly. I'm way cuter in person.
0: You got it. It was two in the pink, three in the stink. Oh lord.
2: Uh,
0: Of course, she would have said that.
2: She would have been on top.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So,
1: so yeah, Mall Cuppers was really. Uh, my favorites out of all that we've done because it just has so many little bonuses in fact in preparation for this I was going through my notes uh, on that particular case and looking to see just to kind of help refresh my memory even more and I was like oh yeah that's right I forgot about that and this thing and that thing and so yeah she just led a riotous pretty crime-filled life but it was also petty crime and generally against rich people so that's fine
2: (laughs) I guess Robin Hood style
1: yeah, yeah well, we'll excuse it that way, uh, because we like her, so yeah, that is why I chose mall cut purse. Do you guys have any commentary?
2: That I actually the- really liked mall cut purse. Uh, that is one of the tinies that you've done that, that did stick with me, so that's definitely one of my favorites too.
0: I think I think I'm really angry at you because I wanted mall cut purse, so I had to go for my I actually had to go for my third option, which we'll discuss later on. <laughs>
2: So oh my, did, is- I steal, did I steal your first?
0: No, like my first, my favorite tiny was the one we did this week, and it just seemed a little <laughs> too soon. It's too yeah. scary. It was too soon. It just go find the tiny plane theft. You know that was that's definitely been it's the most recent one I've done. It's been my favorite. But after that, I was like, hey, uh, I'd I'd love to do uh, mall uh, mall cut purse. And Christy went, I'm doing that. And he goes, you bitch.
1: Well, the idea kind of was to pick the favorites that we picked, that we presented. But I do appreciate, I am flattered that one that I presented was one of your favorites. It absolutely so I'll take was. So I'll take the win. It absolutely <laughs> was. That's definitely totally a win. So without further ado, Mall Cut Purse. Hey, it's old. Crimy. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And I am going to tell them and you, our wonderful patrons, a story that they probably don't know.
0: I, can't, I is, can't wait. This is great. I've missed this so much.
1: <laughs> I <bet> you have. <laughs> I'm so excited too. This is the story of Mary Frith, also known as Cut
0: Purse Mall. Have you guys ever heard of her? But, I have. By God, that Damn sounds it. now that sounds familiar, but I may be thinking of Sally Forth, the comic strip.
1: Ah. Well, I may have, even if you know, you have heard, I probably have some details you haven't heard. So let's dive in.
2: Yay.
1: I'm gonna start with a quote about her that was written in the Newgate calendar regarding her behavior as a child. She was above all breeding and instruction. She was a very tomrig or hoyden, she was a tomboy, and delighted in, uh, only in boys' play and pastime, not, not minding or companying with the girls. Many a bang and blow this hoyting procured her, but she was not so to be tamed or taken off from her rude inclinations. She could not endure that sedentary life of sewing or stitching. A sampler was as grievous to her as a winding sheet. And on her needle, bodkin, and thimble, she could not think quietly, wishing them changed into sword and dagger for a bout at cudgels.
0: This is a woman who knows what plaid is going to look like. Uh, (laughs) She's going to wear steel-toe work boots, and she's going to eat tacos a lot, if you know what I mean, and I think you do.
1: (laughs) Uh, we, We will also discuss her wardrobe.
0: She enjoys a box lunch.
1: So, well, it's kind of up
0: in the air. Well, it all depends on what position you're in.
1: Mary Frith was born in either 1884 or, sorry, nope, born in either 1584 or 1589 at Barbican on Aldersgate Street. And hard as I could figure out what the Barbican was back then, I couldn't, but I could find some English pubs that are there right now
0: i knew it all right i knew we'd get to the english pubs <laughs> and real quick too
1: so we've got the old red cow
0: okay all
1: right the shakespeare obviously i would be there
0: dude if i was if i had a bar a pub called the shakespeare i would i would spell it S-H-A-K-E-S-B-E-E-R. The Shakespeare, yes. We used
1: to make that pun when we had a cat named Shakespeare, who I'm sure you guys remember. I
0: missed the little fuzzy butt. <laughs> he,
1: was little. he was such a devil, I loved him. He was uh, evil. Yes, he was, and I loved him. But very uh, pretty. <laughs> there was, uh, the Slaughtered Lamb is another one.
0: That's exactly <laughs> what I want. I want to go to a pub where they mention murder right in the name.
1: Exactly. <laughs> the Hand and Shears. Feels a little threatening. Yeah. A little
0: What if I name my penis shears?
1: (laughs) Bishop's finger, which is what happened when the hand and the shears got too
0: close. (laughs) Or, or, uh, you know, the bishop's finger is whenever you get one up the butt. Yeah,
2: that's that's what I I was thinking. I was thinking like choir boys.
0: Hmm? Of
2: course. I'm going to go ask Ariana like
0: after after this. Could I have a little bit of uh, the hand and shears with maybe a bishop's finger on the side? (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh! The fact that we could make
1: British pub names into sex
0: acts—yes.
1: Oh, this is going to become a big thing. But I, I need to, I need to continue. And finally, the Castle Farrington, which while it doesn't have a very unique name, I chose it because among its Google reviews can be found the perhaps overly effusive comment: "It's a pub. That's it."
0: <laughs> it, it's it's a pub, which you may have noticed by the name, the Castle Farrington Pub.
1: Exactly. I was like, wow. Okay. All right. You needed to come to Google just to say that, just to tell us the what should be pretty obvious. Thanks. Okay. Jesus
0: Christ. At least make something up. Make something yeah, right? up. The waitress came over and and she forgot my water. And the owner came out and slapped her three times. And knocked her eyeglasses right into my plate of lasagna. He then came over to my wife, punched her in the gut, and that spilled the Parmesan on the floor. And he said, cocaine, and though face first into the floor. Spaghetti was great. Five stars.
1: (laughs) While you were gone, we had a pub that one of the reviews said, good place. It's better when Billy England isn't there.
0: Oh, well, yeah, that bastard gets some shit, man. Yeah.
1: So Mary Fritz's father was a shoemaker. Her mother was a housewife. It's the 16th century, after all. But she was a troublemaker from day one. She loved hanging out with the boys. She liked going to the bear garden, not the beer garden, the bear garden, which was, yes, a bear pit. Jesus. Nice. Yeah, right. And if anybody tried to get her to do anything more conventionally feminine like sewing, she would purposely mess it up so that she could just get back to her troublemaking.
0: I've sewn my face to my hand. Your (laughs) underwear is ready. Take
1: me to the hand and (laughs) shears. Her parents died when she was pretty young and she was sent to live with her uncle, a minister. It didn't take her very long after this. We don't have exact dates, but either around the age of 11 or 16, because we don't know whether she was born in 1584 or 89, she was indicted for theft for the first time. She was caught stealing two shillings, which would be enough for her to hang for even at 11 or 16. Jesus. But I know, right? <laughs> but Death penalty for parking
0: violation. <laughs>
1: it it pretty much was yeah. yeah but her uncle being a minister helped and she was able to get a deal so her uncle is like oh boy I have this this whirlwind of a child on my hand what do I do what do I do what do I do oh look at that ship I wonder where it's heading is it
0: heading to the new world I know what America needs this bitch (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <Right>? <laughs> so he pops her on the ship that's heading to new england and she doesn't know what's going on yet but she figures it out uh after she was boarding but before the ship left and so she just looked over the side of the ship she's like yeah i can make that dove off the ship swam back to dry land
0: <laughs> i know that she's probably a lesbian but i love this bitch
1: <laughs> i love this bitch too <laughs> so yeah after that she pretty much uh she was like at Screw my minister uncle. I'm going to go join a gang of pickpockets. And so she did. It was very Dickensian. And she was really, really good at it. She started dressing in men's clothes. She would wear a doublet and breeches And now back then, of course, if a woman wore men's clothing, then they would call her uncontrolled and she was expected to be very, very sexual, like overly so, especially for the day. But the truth was no one could really pin down her sexuality. We honestly don't know. She could have been a lesbian. She could have been bisexual. She could have been asexual. She could have been pansexual. She could have been hetero. We
0: don't. No. In my and experience if a woman is wearing what is called traditionally men's clothing, um yeah, the she has no desire for the penis.
1: Okay, we, we maybe, but we don't know. Right. Honestly, it's very much a case of she I think maybe hid that in particular while she was out and about with all of her other at the, in the time considered oddities, she kept that to herself or maybe honestly, maybe she was asexual,
0: you know? I like to think Um, that everybody like in her little gang tried to figure it out and just like week after week after week, getting no headway whatsoever. (laughs) Like 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 it's a Saturday night live sketch, like it's Pat, but with the, with sexuality instead of gender.
1: Yes. She also swore quite a bit. She loved to hang out in taverns, and she smoked a pipe. She was said to be the first woman in England to smoke tobacco. That's That's something. Yep. Uh, Another quote from the Newgate Calendar. This she took to from her first entrance into a competency of age, and to her dying day, she would not leaving it off. She was a great libertine, and she lived too much in common to be enclosed in the limits of a private domestic life. So
0: her this time woman, in the end... Un- this woman needs a man in a dress. That'll fix it right up. <laughs> It'll be well, great. It'll be great. She gets what <laughs> she wants, a woman. He gets what he wants, another man. And the genitalia are conveniently matching. <laughs>
1: Her time in the underworld led to her developing a nickname, Cut Purse Mall. Cut Purse is, uh, the, the, there was this tactic in stealing where it was called, it was,
0: god damn it. Cutting Purse? It,
1: it was called nipping a bung.
0: <laughs> well, we've all done that. I mean, you know, adventurous.
1: I was like, well, that's, that's one for Scott. Yeah. So, You're going to have to say it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'll let you know so, how
0: that goes next week. I'm going to give that a try this week.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. You do that. Rich people would wear their purse hanging from their girdle, and the criminals would just come along and cut the purse off and make a run
0: for it. Now, do you guys actually know what a bunghole is?
1: I mean, before Beavis and Butthead?
0: Well, here's the thing. Bung holes, the hole, uh, the uh, the cork that goes into a barrel of wine or beer is called a bung. Oh. So a bung hole is actually the hole in a barrel that you uncork.
1: Did not know okay. that. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Today I learned. And the second part of her nickname, "Mall," well, it could have been a nickname for Mary, which it, it traditionally was. Or it was also used as a slur for a lady of questionable
0: character. Oh, no. That questionable character. I saw her ankles the other day.
1: I mean, I think we (laughs) definitely know that as far as polite society was concerned, and most society, even the impolite, she was considered of questionable character.
0: I like to think she was the Scott of her day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, she was also known for her sense of humor. There you go. So there you go. Cut per Scott. Yay. (laughs) One time she went to light her pipe only to find that one of the little pranksters in her merry gang of thieves had replaced some of the tobacco with (laughs) gunpowder. And she didn't get mad. She got a huge kick out of this. She thought it was absolutely a riot. And she also liked to get people to kick up a little bit of a fuss with her displays of masculinity. She bet a dude 20 pounds, which if it was, I just, I couldn't exactly pin down what year this was. So I just kind of guessed 1608. Sure. That that would be about 5,000 pounds in that day that she could get from Charing Cross, Charing Cross, something like that, to Shoreditch on a horse, wearing her doublet and breeches. Now, breeches. Now, about an hour or so's walk, and on a horse, you're not going to be galloping or anything. You might be able to go a little bit faster than walking, but still, it's you know, it might come down to 45 minutes or something. She was doing this, but she wasn't going to sneak about it. No. She was going to try to get as much attention as possible, and she did this with a trumpet and a banner.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Now, she made it as far as Bishop's Gate, which was about a, throw, a stone's throw from Shoreditch, her final destination there. And so she was really close without having had too much trouble. But then she is passing under the gate. And as she wrote in her autobiography, a plaguey orange wench knew me and knew no sooner let me pass her. But she cried out, Mal Cutberts on horseback. That
0: bitch. That plaggy and- bitch.
1: Everyone is a plaguey orange wench now. You know what?
0: You know what? We've gone full circle. I think you can use the term plaguey wench now, and and back then, equally well. But plaguey orange wench only fits with one person. Yep.
1: So she did make it, even though this plaguey orange wench got the people all mobbed up and they were threatening to pull her off the horse. So she made it. She won the bet. She became famous or probably more like infamous so quickly that she even had a book written about her by 1610. Now at this point she would have been either 21 or 26, depending on the actual birth year. This was called the mad pranks of Mary Moll of the Brankside." side. Oh. It's, walk- oh, it's not done yet. Oh, you Jesus. know, they got to They got to make these titles last as long as the fucking book.
0: Remember there's going to be like, there's going to be like about three lines of title. And then the word "or," and then another five lines of title. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do it from the top again because you got to get the full effect. All right. Uh, also, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying my like Middle English accent here. The mad pranks of Mary Mull of the Bankside, with her walks in man's apparel, and to what purpose? Or. By John Day. <laughs> There's wow. no "or," but it is just by John Day. I'm adding an "or."
0: That bitch <laughs> likes other women. I can tell.
1: <laughs> so. By the next year, there was a play about her by Thomas Middleton and Thomas Decker called The Roaring Girl. Now, they base this concept of There was a rowdy set of young men who thieved and killed in London, and they were called The Roaring Boys. So they called her The Roaring Girl. And also her laugh was said to be quite uproarious. I'm just going to go ahead and quote directly from Miriam Bibby on Historic UK. <clears throat> The Maul of the play is an articulate, even eloquent young woman who spars as well with her wit as she does with her sword. She hints at her ability to procure people of both sexes, then claims disinterest in the whole topic. The Roaring Girl plays around with gender identity and sexuality in a way that seems surprisingly modern now. And both followers and critics of Maul couldn't help being drawn to her immense character. So this is still being put on today. Even in the same theater, uh, the plot was, uh, okay, so a young man, he wants to marry this girl. His dad shoots it down. So he's like, okay, I got to make my love look better by comparison. So I'm going to go after Maul Cutpurse. So that way, you know, this, this woman I want to marry will look like a shining angel. And... So his father gets wind of this and starts spying on Maul and trying to set her up. In the meantime, the son and Maul, they do kind of cozy up together. And the thing is, Maul in the play, she isn't actually a thief because we can't have her actually being a bad guy. Everything's got to be more black and white. But she used to know one really well. And so she uses his tricks to actually save people from thieves. But the public, when she did this, got the wrong idea and just assumed that she was a thief. So the son does end up marrying his original fiance, and his father does approve, and even says he'll never let rumors inform his opinion of women's characters again.
0: Aww, but what
1: about more? Yes, it's really, really is kind of amazing for that day and age to consider that it would be like that. And she in the play, much like in, in sometimes in life,
2: insisted she'd never marry. I think that Maul probably went and busted some heads over that play because they damaged her reputation as cutthroat Maul. Well, actually, it was thanks to the popularity of this show that she got on the
1: stage herself. What? She was at the Fortune Theater where they still play uh, the Roaring Girl. She played the lute. She would sing these body obscene songs and then get into arguments with the audience
0: that's beautiful
1: (laughs) this was not the done thing as you know for a woman to be on stage and like seriously this was this was groundbreaking for her to do this as were so many of her things but it was probably because of this that she was arrested on christmas day 1611 and charged with immodest behavior for her masculine dress And she was also charged with prostitution, but we'll get to that. I don't think it was actually prostitution. It was probably more of the procuring side of it. Uh, For this, she had to do penance by wearing a white sheet outside the church as the crowds came to worship on a Sunday. And it was said she seemed very, very sorry and penitent. She was sobbing and apologizing. And then it was discovered that she was just having one of those sad drunk moments because she drank three quarters of a thing of wine.
0: I love this woman. (laughs) <laughs> and, right
1: she's like oh i'm so sorry i'm so inappropriate i, will wait I back love back you everywhere so though. much i'm
0: so sorry mm. here's my titties don't touch me you disgust me <laughs> yeah
1: so she was actually betrothed to a young man and we have one of the worst names we've had on this show coming up here luke norm markham <laughs> Or wow. it could be Lunar because it is spelled L-E-W.
0: K-N-O-R. L-E-W? Yep.
1: K-N-O-R.
0: Luke Nor. Or Lunar. Yeah. Luke Nor. Lunar.
1: Exactly. I can't tell. Right? <laughs> So they did go ahead with the marriage, but it's said that she went ahead with it because they would always call her a spinster in her in court. And so that she would have a comeback. So she'd be able to say, well, you must not be talking about me because I'm a married woman.
0: I imagine court in the 1600s is a lot like Jerry Springer today.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. It was, it was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It was, it was riotous and crazy. And, the engravings of her, oh my God, they they are so wonderful. She's all dressed up in the the doublet and breeches, looks kind of vaguely pilgrimy. She usually has a pipe, and they also show her with animals like birds, dogs, monkeys. I don't know about the monkeys. I wouldn't be surprised, but she did keep parrots, and she also had mastiffs. She would breed them, and these, these were such spoiled dogs. I mean, this woman had three maids coming to take care of her house, and she still would personally cook every meal for the dogs. Wow. And I know, right? And they each had their own special bed and their own special blankets.
0: Well, yeah, that goes without saying.
1: But, yeah, it's just like, I mean, they didn't share bed or anything. It's these the, just a house full of dogs in their own I don't, beds. I don't think up she could
2: have. Do you know how big those Mastiffs are? Jesus. Yes. That's true, yeah. They are big dogs. It's, it seems
1: it seems fitting for her. So she would get caught sometimes in her thievery and spend some time in jail. Uh, four times she got branded on the hand, which was the punishment for thieves, Generally, that meant the first time you got branded was because you had cited a quote from the Bible and they would let you off them, but they would still brand you to show that you had done that so that you couldn't try to use that as you're out again. Somehow she managed to do that four times. We're not really sure exactly how
0: we're running out of space. Could you stop this? Yeah. Right. You're
1: going to have to get my other hand at some point, my foot, maybe. <sighs> So she started moving up in the criminal ranks and she became a fence. So she would receive stolen goods. She would sell them. But she really, she did have a heart or at least sort of a something. Um, the victims would come to her for their stolen goods. And if they were nice enough, she'd just give them back their stuff. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes. She did once get Busted by a sort of undercover policeman and was about to go to trial when the evidence, which was a watch, uh, just disappeared Hmm. because one of her guys stole it.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, as if stolen.
1: Yeah, right? I wonder where it went. She also did some pimping, but guys, she was an equal opportunity pimp.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: She would pimp for both men and women. If a married dude wanted a mistress, then Maul's like, here you go. Here's a here's a pretty young wench. If a married woman in the middle class was feeling a little, you know, unsatisfied, pipes need a little cleaning. Maul was like, here's this strapping young man. Have fun. Actually, she called the young men that she would uh, pimp out the sprucest fellows the town afforded.
0: Yay. <laughs> Let me tell you about my man, Horse.
1: And in those cases, when it was her pimping out a man to a woman, she got twice the price because the man and the woman would both pay her.
0: Mm.
2: Wow, that is a racket. (laughs) Right? This woman. I mean,
1: pimping, yes, problematic, sexual, you know, like it can be difficult because a lot of the time it's uh, sort of, you know, unconsensual on the part of the person being pimped. But If we just look at it on a surface level and forget all those troubles, it is amazing.
0: (laughs) Really, at that point, it's not pimping. It's just Tinder. Yeah,
1: right? (laughs) So it did get complicated sometimes, though. There is one story where one of her female clients died and in her last breath confessed that she had taken lovers and gotten them from Cut Purse Mall. Samal so hears about this, and she looks at the women's kids, and she's like, yeah, I see a couple of familiar faces there, and uh, they're not her husbands. So she actually got the possible real fathers to pay up in the form of maintenance for the children.
0: Hmm.
1: Wow. I mean, it's unconventional all the fucking way, from from the beginning to end with her. You'll see. Oh, you'll see. So. Then the English Civil War of 1642 to 1651 came around and she found a new calling Highwaywoman.
0: Of course. Yeah. I, it was either going to be that or organ trafficking.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Her biggest get was when she robbed Sir Thomas Fairfax, who, according to Wikipedia, was an English nobleman, peer, politician, general, and parliamentary commander in chief. Wow. Uh, she got out of him two hundred and fifty gold, and she shot two of his horses. And man also shot. That,
0: fuck your horses! Bam. Yeah. bam. that's kind of the same as like like shooting out somebody's wheels today.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she also may have shot him in the arm. So there's that too. And, and the thing about this is, he was very much like high up in the ranks of the royalists, and. Mall was a royalist but i think when it came to thieving there was no such thing as politics for her everybody was a fair target and she wasn't going to hold off just because you were on the same side as her politically that makes sense yeah she did get caught for this and landed in newgate prison but managed to grease some palms and got out that only took about two thousand pounds, and when I see a number like that back then, I'm like, okay, did they already do the conversion for me? But I don't think they did because she was uh, she was greasing those palms to avoid getting a new scratchy tight necklace. If you get my drift.
0: Mm. Now yeah. that
1: would have been it depends on the year because again, that Civil War went from forty two to fifty one. And I don't know exactly what year this happened, but anywhere from around 370,000 pounds to 420,000 pounds. And now also keep in mind, through this series of adventures, depending on her birth date and the time that they occurred, she was anywhere from 53 to 67. Hmm. Nice. 67 year old woman out there shooting up parliamentary commanders in chief and general and English peer, blah, blah, blah. And, and horses <laughs> so it was possibly because of this incident that she ended up in bedlam which is Bethlehem hospital uh william minor uh was a previous episode that we did the oxford english dictionary guy mm-hmm. he was a resident of the uh, that hospital in later years psychiatric hospital and she was released in 1644 and just a little side trip uh, I did look at the other notable residents, and about a century later, somebody who I think I think Maul would have gotten along really well with had a little stint in in Bedlam. Hannah Snell wore men's clothes in order to be in the military, got an honorable discharge, even with them knowing she was a woman, and then she was tossed into Bedlam. Uh, before that, though, she opened a pub. <laughs> and that pub's
0: name was.
1: Well, there's two possibilities. It, it was either the Widow in Masquerade, or the Female Warrior.
0: I like the Widow in Masquerade better.
1: I like the Female Warrior, but yeah, they're both good. It's it's tough. It's a tough call. But I like to think that if Purse Small had lived a century after, uh, she would have been right there, just hoisting a pint, absolutely. So back to Mal, uh, she died in 1659. She was either 70 or 75, which is damn good for that time period. That is impressive. And for being a criminal, like, oh, man. It is reported that it was uh, a death due to, of course, any guesses?
0: Uh, (laughs) COVID-19.
2: Syphilis. (laughs) Dropsy.
0: Aw, she fell.
1: <laughs> it's swelling. Like It's called edema or edema or something like that nowadays. Uh, she died in her own bed, in her own home, and you know, in a nice peaceful death, which is amazing for the riotous life that she led. And then we have a few stories about her final resting place.
0: Okay, so there's
1: story one, which includes a poem.
0: Love it. Okay. All hit right. me up hit me up with that iambic pentameter you salty wench you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now the story goes that Milton himself as in Paradise Lost, Milton wrote the epitaph on her headstone, which the reason it's a story is because only 7 years after she died, it was destroyed in the Great Fire. So I have, I kind of stitched together two different sections of it from two different sources to try, and I I hope it's, I'm, I'm being true, as true as possible to the original, but I don't know if I am. So, whether I rise a he or she, or two in one, a single pair, nature's sport and now her care, for no communion she had, nor sorted with the good or bad, that when the world shall be calcined, and the mixed mass of humankind shall separate by that melting fire she'll stand alone and none come nigh her. Basically, uh, my interpretation is she was unique in life and she will continue to be unique and one of a kind In and nobody can ever possibly be like her in death or whatever comes after.
0: I, I like dig that. it. I like that.
1: Yeah. You will also like the second and final story about her death Possibly apocryphal, but way too good to not give you. One of her last requests was to be buried ass up so the world would know what she thought of it at the last. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) So that is the story of Cut Purse Maul, who is absolutely amazing. Mm. Oh, I had so much fun putting this together. Every little juicy detail—it was just an. She is, a, she is a delight. She was a just a crazy, wonderful, awesome thieving, pimping <laughs> ass-up buried woman, and I loved every second of it.
0: Was she Snoop Dogg?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, she I was the she'd OG. Be, she'd be smoking it up with Martha Stewart right now if she was live. <laughs> So, patrons, we hope you enjoyed the tale of Cut Purse Mall as much as I enjoyed telling it, and I really, really did. My sources are East End Women's Museum, Miriam Bibby on Historic UK, The Royal Shakespeare Company, Wikipedia, and Kieran Conliffe on Headstuff. Which is not the first time I've used him as a source, and hopefully it is not the first time I've pronounced his name right.
2: What did you pick, Scott?
0: I picked Chichajima. Chichijima was, uh, I think that was before Amber was with us. I was was going to
2: say, that doesn't sound familiar to me.
0: Yeah. Um, Chichijima is just, we all know about the horrors of war. But for me, just, it really punctuated the horrors of war. Whenever you mix ritualistic cannibalism in with POWs, it was it was just amazing to me that the Japanese killed eight of the nine airmen, one of which whom we never never found the name of because his name is lost to history. This guy died for his country, died in the most horrible way, lost, and he's lost to history. Uh, murdered eight of them, eight, four of them, and. To me, I'm, I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but the, the identity of the survivor just blew me away. It was, it's one of those things that was hidden from history for so long and, and then brought back out. Just absolutely incredible. So without further ado, to steal a phrase from Christy, Shichijima. y'all listening to old-timey crimey crimes from the golden age of yesteryear now here's your host, christy and scott
1: hey it's old-timey old, timey, old timey tiny crimey scott came up with a new
0: name
1: <laughs> a very smart name i love it oh
0: puns are the best things in the world <laughs>
1: wordplay so Scott is going to tell me a story this week.
0: Yes, Christy was just a little bit busy this week.
1: It's the end of the semester and I'm staring down a dark hallway with no end in sight.
0: So I'm not going to put more stress on her. I I had like a whole bunch of stories already planned out. There's no reason for us to kind of put more stress on Christy. So I decided, hey... We're going to do some stuff, and I just found the most fucking horrible things on the face of the planet.
1: And uh, thank you for uh, for, for doing the, the research this week and for presenting me with the, the most horrible fucking things on the planet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Chin, Chin Jima incident.
1: Ooh, okay.
0: Yes, so Chin, Chin Jima, it's formerly known as Pearl Island. This is the largest island in the Ogasawara Archipelago. Uh those are two words that I hope I'm saying correctly Archipelago? Archipelago, archipelago, pagalo I think Archipelago. archipegalo. Archipelago?
1: Archipelago. Okay.
0: Um, Archipegasus. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. So it's 150 miles north of Iwo Jima. Okay. Which actually plays into this because the Battle of Iwo Jima, uh, Chichijima, was very important to that. It was a staging ground, it was the primary site of long range uh, Japanese radio stations during World War II. In 1944, all 6,886 civilians are ordered to evacuate from the from the island chain. Oh my God. All of them. Japanese troops and resources uh, are used to reinforce the strategic point of Iwo Jima before this historic battle. You know the Battle of Iwo Jima, even if you don't realize you know the Battle of Iwo Jima. Mm-hmm. The, the statue that you see of the four or five soldiers hoisting the american flag and it's kind of like at a 45 degree angle that's the monument to iwo jima that really happened
1: and one of them i believe is a local boy
0: yes he is right from yes, uh, is. from
1: franklin uh east conma area i think it's franklin. right right
0: yeah. it's the the memorial to him is just down the road from where i live mm-hmm. so let's talk about september of 1944 okay this is kind of fuzzy the details of this incident were sealed in top secret files according to the government to keep the families from distress
1: okay because
0: it's just that fucking horrible Ooh. and to this day nobody's really quite certain what happened what we do know is that nine airmen are shot down during a bombing raid only a 20 year old pilot nicknamed skin he was very tall and lanky is able to escape capture by the Japanese. Just one of them. Okay. Uh, he he was evading capture. He ditched his plane further out than the rest of them, and he scrambled to a life raft. And at this time, like, the Japanese are shooting at the life raft, but he's eventually rescued by the sub, the USS Finback, which is an awesome name for a sub.
1: It's also skins on the Finback.
0: <laughs> skins on the Finback. The captured soldiers are tortured, beaten, and executed. Just to give you an idea of, of what happened, we're talking beheaded with swords, uh, multiple stabs with bayonets, uh, gored with sharpened bamboo stakes, they've Ooh. been clubbed, Ugh. right? The And we, you'll hear it in this week's episode, the B-29 and the fighter pilots, they had laid waste to Japan. They were not well-liked. Citizens would take it into their own hands to, to kill uh, surviving crew members. Oh, wow. I mean, it was, there, there is an incident, um, right before the end of the war, it's actually the incident that caused the president to go, okay, we need to drop the bombs. Um, cause it was kind of back and forth as to whether they should. Japanese troops approached this Island. The families came out, took their children and their babies and threw them off the <gasps> cliff into the water oh, no. so that they would have nothing left to live for. Oh no. Right. So that was the mentality that we were dealing with. And it was thought, if we bombed these two places, and we gave Hiroshima and Nagasaki every chance in the world. We dropped leaflets going, get out of town. We are going to level this. We have a new weapon. Your city will not be here. Please get out. This is the only way we can get through to your government. And to be fair, it worked. It was horrible. But it worked. But that was the kind of mentality that we were dealing with. There's a very great documentary called World War II from Space that talks about that incident. Um, they kind of play World War II as seen by spy satellites, if we had spy satellites oh, at that time. My. So instead of seeing, oh, here's this battle, here's this battle, you get to see the planet Earth. Here's this battle going on at the same time as this battle. This is the way the troops are moving. If you get the chance, World War II from space.
1: Oh, that is fascinating. I'm gonna have to watch that. <clears throat> fantastic,
0: fantastic. I'm not even really like into
1: war documentaries, but that just sounds like such a such a really unique idea.
0: Yeah, and they even get into the ghost army, which is something people don't really talk about. How we faked out the well, Germans. Ghosts, so. Well <laughs> we faked out the Germans by building an army out of balloons.
1: <laughs> we should talk about that more. <laughs> yes, we should. This episode is sponsored by Best Fiends really feels like things are getting back to normal, you guys. Who knew we'd be so excited for normal?
0: What are you guys most excited about doing in these new, old, new, normal times?
1: I'm super excited to travel, really
2: expand my horizons. You know what else expands your horizons? Best Fiends, thousands of levels, new game mechanics all the time, adorable characters. It's seriously mind expanding.
0: Best Fiends is a super fun puzzle game, and once you start playing, you won't want to stop.
2: And it's a
1: game that anyone can play. It's made for adults, but it's so bright and colorful and fun, which is a nice breather from the dark world of true crime.
2: So what levels are we on?
0: I'm on level 996.
2: I am on level 2,172. God! (laughs) Wow! (laughs) I was playing a lot the last few weeks. (laughs) (laughs) You're really
1: plugging along there, aren't you? I am on level (laughs)
2: 4,045.
1: Wow. (laughs) And having fun. So uh, I'm going to go play some more Best Fiends now, and you guys can just do the rest of the show without me, okay?
2: You know what? I think maybe I should to try to catch up.
0: Just <laughs> I guess I'm doing the show alone.
2: <laughs> Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R Best Fiends.
0: So, getting back to Chichajima, radio operator Marv Michon marched to a freshly dug grave, made to kneel beheaded. Japanese soldier Iwakawa said at the war crimes trials, eventually everybody here was tried for war crimes, he said when the flyer was struck, he did not cry out, but made a slight groan. The next day, this is where it gets really fucking horrible.
1: I can see you bracing yourself. Yeah, And I'm bracing myself in, like, sympathy.
0: The next day, Japanese officer Major Sue Matoba prepares a feast for the commander-in-chief of Chichijima, General Yoshi Tachibana. The menu is sake, a human liver, and a thigh flesh, about six pounds of it, measuring four inches wide by 12 inches long.
1: No, 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 no.
0: no. Major Mataba brings a delicacy to the quarters of Admiral Kinsey Mori: the prepared liver of crewman Floyd Hall. The liver was pierced with sticks, cooked with soy sauce, and vegetables
1: i'm so glad i actually ate dinner except that it's gonna come back up yeah but i because i wouldn't eat anything i might not eat anything for
0: a couple of days <laughs> later on later on at the war trials it's kind of said well you'd cut off our food supply so we we did what we had to do to survive no 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 you had vegetables to prepare this food with mm-hmm. it wasn't just that uh eventually the admiral admits he goes well i believed it was good medicine for the stomach (sighs) sure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. jimmy dye was put to work as a translator he was one of the uh, surviving crew members several weeks later captain shizua yoshi had his liver served at a party along with parts of airman warren earl vaughn and the rest of the remaining troops were executed uh, Captain Shizoe Yoshi, Major Sui Matoba, General Yoshi Tachibana are tried alongside 11 other Japanese personnel in August of 1946. There was no law against cannibalism. Oh. It just wasn't thought of.
1: Or even like no law against, that like maybe, could maybe be considered desecration of a corpse?
0: Well, they got them for murder mm-hmm. and prevention of honorable burial.
1: Oh, okay. So, All right.
0: Yoshi, Matoba, and Tachibana are all executed for their crimes. Mm -hmm. Um, That
1: sounds like justice. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So here's where it gets a little out there. We're going to talk about self-proclaimed renegade historian Douglas Dietrich.
1: Okay, self-proclaimed renegade historian. I'm a self-proclaimed renegade podcaster. Did you know that? I
0: I can live with that. <laughs> and it's
1: the end of the semester, so I'm about to become a self-proclaimed renegade professor.
0: <laughs> so here's the thing. We'll get into this a little bit later. Is Douglas Dietrich to be trusted? But here's the thing. Right now, am I to be trusted? Because I remember Douglas Dietrich doing this interview on Coast to Coast AM. Okay. I cannot find it for the life of me. Oh.
1: But this
0: is where I've heard about Chin, Chin Jima. This is where I got interested in the work of Douglas Dietrich. So I'm pulling a lot of this from memory. So let's talk a little bit about Douglas Dietrich. He is the son of a retired U.S. Navy sailor. He spent 10 years at the Department of Defense as a research librarian and presided at the Presidio military base of San Francisco. His major duty was document destruction. Okay. He did not really like the people he was working for. So he would sit around all day and go, hmm, read it, throw it in the fire. Read it, throw it in the fire. Oh, that's interesting. Write it down, read it, throw it in the fire.
1: Wow. Yeah, you really want to make sure that the person you put in charge of document destruction doesn't have it out for <laughs> the people around him. <laughs>
0: the people around him deserve. Oh, I'm not saying that yeah. they didn't.
1: I'm just saying that if you're if you're going to, you know, what, no matter whether you're a crappy person or not, if you're going to do that, do it right. Right.
0: So this I'm pulling this all from memory. Okay. But it burned itself into my memory pretty good. George Skinbush. President George Skinbush according to uh, Douglas Dietrich wait okay wait, you're going skin do... the one who escaped was george bush
1: holy shit president
0: george bush the 1st
1: holy shit yes oh, wait i need one more holy mm. shit yes okay all right continue yeah.
0: so george skin bush according to some documents that Douglas Dietrich says that he found did not escape on the life raft at first. He was taken prisoner on Chichijima, then escaped. Many soldiers, according to this, were kept alive. How do you keep meat fresh? You only cut off what you need. Yeah, their limbs are amputated and cauterized because being alive keeps the meat fresh. According to the documents that he says that he found, George Bush was in this. He saw this happening to other soldiers and escapes. January 8th, 1992 at around 8.20 PM, George Bush is approached by a former Japanese soldier of Chichijima at a dinner for the emperor. Oh my. And is told, I remember you. You are going to be next. Then there's a very famous incident where Bush faints. Vomits into the lap of Prime Minister Kiichi Miyazawa.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
0: So, at the time... And, I mean, it was rumored, like, somebody even went in and, you know, George Bush has died. And, like, it was reported, and you can actually watch, like, the, the news article of, like, President George Bush died today. And you can hear somebody yelling in the background, stop! Stop! Oh, wow. Right? So, it was... There was a false report that George Bush had died after fainting. But it is there. George Bush fainted. And fell into the lap of the prime minister and vomited right in his lap. The story was that he was sick, that he wasn't feeling well, but according to the documents Douglas Dietrich found, no, he was approached by a Japanese soldier. Oh And said, so I remember you. Oh. Is Douglas Dietrich to be believed? Douglas Dietrich claims to have found documents proving <clears throat> vampires, zombies, Soviet psychic warfare, weaponized spell casting,
1: huh.
0: and pedophile rings. Well, I mean that one, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about this. Before you crap on Douglas Dietrich. Now we all know about the Epstein pedophile rings, mm-hmm. and I think everybody here realizes Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> MKUltra. The government mind control project where they tried to create super soldiers using vast amounts of LSD. And actually found a way to kind of create a Manchurian candidate. Mm-hmm. At some points, they had, they had people dosed on LSD for six months solid Ooh. under MK Ultra. Ooh. This is not urban legend. This is fact. Project Stargate. Government-trained psychics that worked. This is fact. If you want a great movie or a book, The Men Who Stare at Goats. Oh,
1: yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Project Stargate was real. Babylon Workings. Uh Jet Propulsion Laboratory Jack Parsons and Alistair Crowley cast a spell to open a portal to an alternate dimension on January fourteenth nineteen forty six in caverns near Arroyo Seco, California.
1: Okay, but wait is this, this
0: is government sanctioned?
1: They cast a spell to open a portal to another dimension mm-hmm but okay, who what And the government was working with Alistair Crowley yes. I, none of this is... The pieces are not clicking together. They're fighting with each other. The pieces in my head, they're fighting with each yes. other. <laughs> it's like the bam, pow. Yeah. It's like the old Batman show.
0: Our government has been into some weird shit.
1: I don't know that I can fully believe this. Like where, 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 how, what?
0: <laughs> Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons, who created the JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory that is yeah. used in many government experiments. Him and L. Ron Hubbard... And Alistair Crowley were big into spell casting, and kind of went to the government with certain things.
1: I don't know what my face just did, but it was probably funny. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> there was, <laughs> once again, this is me pulling this from memory. There was a situation where they were trying to to bring a goddess to life. So Jack Parsons masturbated furiously to bring this goddess to life As one does. While L. Ron Hubbard took notes in the corner.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Mm -hmm. As
0: he, I think Jack Parsons this, I think he was masturbating onto ancient Babylonian clay tablets. As one does. Exactly. Now here's the thing. Parsons said he was successful. And there is some proof. Because right after this, 1946, there is an amazing UFO flap. Uh, you have the Kenneth Arnold sighting, which actually coined the term flying saucer. You have the Mari Island incident where a UFO kind of is in a fleet with other UFOs and it looks like it's having trouble and bits of it are falling off and it strikes a man's dog and kills it. And then this other UFO kind of bumps sides with the one, that, and it kind of steadies out. And a week later, you have the Roswell crash. And a lot of people think that the UFO that was having trouble was the one that crashed in Roswell. So you have like this high amount of activity Mm -hmm. right after Parsons and Alistair Crowley try to open up this portal. Correlation
1: doesn't equal causation. I know.
0: But what I'm saying is, is Douglas Dietrich to be believed?
1: possibly maybe we can just believe him on some things and not on others because that's where I'm headed mentally. Just so you know, exactly. I I can believe the whole George Bush thing. Uh, I fall again. I fall apart at Alistair Crowley opening a portal for the government. I mean, (laughs) that that's just where everything just falls apart and, and and just crashes onto the floor for me. You can hear the sounds of glass
0: tinkling. But what I'm saying is, Yeah, do I think the government has files on vampires and zombies? Yeah, I think they went, let's see if we can weaponize this. Maybe the legends are true. And I tend to believe, I tend to believe that George Bush was maybe prisoner at Chichajima a little bit longer.
1: The government having, uh, like, or at least having files on vampires and zombies are... That's very Buffy season four. It really is, (laughs) isn't it? very Buffy season four. Oh my gosh, the initiative. Yes. (laughs) There's probably a bland soldier working for them who just really isn't that believable as a love interest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that is the tale of Chichajima Island.
1: Boy, you just knocked me out of my chair, man. (laughs) That was something. Holy shit. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and it's not going to get any better in our in our free episode either
1: oh, and that's longer too that's yeah, more mind blowing and ah no
0: yes it is
1: oh well that was really excellent that was fantastic
0: thank you thank
1: you thank Scott you. thank you again for, for taking on the, the weight this week I know you enjoyed it I missed researching yesterday <laughs> I'm very grateful for the break and I needed it desperately I wouldn't have had time to get the work done that I needed to get done or my research would have been shoddy one of the two something would have suffered so I really greatly appreciate not a problem um, and also uh, thank you for the, the things that are going to keep me th- I may not have nightmares that you promised because I'm going to be laying awake at night thinking about like, once again <laughs> Alistair Crowley working for the government if you don't know who Alistair Crowley is look him up quite an interesting character mm-hmm. so
0: he was Alistair Crowley he was the self-proclaimed beast of the bible
1: we've got a lot of self-proclaimed people today
0: <laughs> to be fair you know, and
1: here's the thing Alistair, I mean, nobody else is going to proclaim it, so you yeah, exactly, well.
0: exactly. No, other people went, no, I think he's oh, the yeah,
1: true. After he said it. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, but they went, I think he's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's absolutely right. Yeah, the whole thing with Alistair Crowley and L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons of the JPL working together, it's incredible. And
1: it's fucking bonkers. Yeah,
0: well, whenever you stop and look at it, NASA's kind of bonkers too because NASA was started through Operation Paperclip. The guy who started NASA, Werner von Braun, was a fucking Nazi. Yes. And everybody knew it. There's a song about how much of a Nazi Werner von Braun is. Oh my God. The bombs go up, who cares where they come down? Such is the philosophy of Werner von Braun. <laughs>
1: oh my God. I'll forgive the lazy rhyme <laughs> for a song about a NASA Nazi.
2: So, my favorite is very obvious. To you guys and probably to anyone that's a patreon so my favorite was william lawrence camillo who is the feel good crime of the century <laughs> i'm
0: fucking saluting him
2: that right? man is amazing he is he's america's favorite kind of criminal and he is the most innocent criminal of of everybody and uh he, he's the bus driver if his name didn't ring a bell the bus driver should give it away because he was a bus driver that just had enough. (laughs) Just kept driving. Kept (laughs) going. And he's amazing. And it it is by far and large my favorite Tiny. So without further ado, (laughs) William Lawrence Camillo.
0: You're listening to Old Timey Crimey. Crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott.
2: Hey, and welcome to old- Tiny. (laughs) 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 And I am Amber, and I'm gonna be telling Christy and Scott a story today. Yay, story time. Story time. And today is actually a very, very special day because today, the date that we're recording, is the actual anniversary of this happening. How fun is that?
0: (laughs) I mean, if we do it right, we might be able to conjure something.
2: So, well, this was a a few days worth of ordeal. So, um, we're going to be hitting several anniversaries this week. Um, So, I'm going to be telling you guys about William Lawrence. Camillo.
0: Have hmm. you ever heard of him? I have not. You I don't might, think
2: so. You might have, but perhaps not by name. I see. Um, so he was a bus driver in the Bronx. He started working around 1931 as a bus driver, described as a really hard-working guy. He never complained. He constantly got kudos at work for his, his wonderful work ethic, just like a gold star. Um He'd been driving a bus for 16 or 17 years. Uh, He was a family man, and he worked for the NYC Surface Transportation System. He told a reporter, up and down, every day, the same people, the same stops, nickels, dimes, transfers, and... Well, on Friday, March 28, 1947, William, who was in 37, said, I thought I'd try something different. So he got his one-month-old cream and red-colored passenger bus, then worth about
0: $18,000. I'm starting to like William a lot.
2: How much do you think that's worth now?
0: $18,000. What's the year again?
2: This is in 1947. $18,000, uh,
0: 18, 1947. You know what? I'm going to go with an even $200,000. I'm going to go with
2: 120000 Scott wins. It was uh two hundred and eleven thousand nine hundred and eighteen dollars.
0: Send me nice. on the trip, Bob Barker. <laughs> I just realized how old I am whenever I didn't say Drew Carey.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Have you noticed how Drew old Carey Drew Carey is?
1: <laughs> I I just happened to the price is right, we came on the TV like just a couple days ago and I was like, oh, holy
2: shit, is that Drew Drew Carey? He's he's gotten old. <laughs> so anyway. He picks up his bus at 6.50 in the morning, like he does every day, to go on his usual route. Except on March 28th, he didn't pick up a single passenger.
0: Hell yeah. A little bit of William time.
2: (laughs) So apparently he got sick of the same old routine. He got fed up with New York traffic. Uh, Maybe a little fed up with feeling the pressure to pay off some gambling debts that he owed. William just decided he had enough. That's enough. So he just started driving south, going nowhere in particular.
0: I've done that. I get that. Me too. I get that. (laughs) If it wouldn't have been for a woman that stepped on a landmine, I'd still be driving south to this day.
2: (laughs) So around 8.50 they spotted his bus near clifton new jersey about 20 miles away from the bronx uh william had stopped for a bite to eat in jersey why not so an alert was put out to police in 11 states to look for his shiny new bus 1310 and uh they were they were just like i don't know what this guy's doing i don't like why so um he he ate in Jersey and then he kept on driving. So next he goes to Washington, D.C. He parked his shiny bus in front of the White House and uh, he went sightseeing. Why not?
0: I love it whenever sure. people go nuts and do, do just perfectly normal things. This dude just wanted a vacation. He didn't park his bus and attack the president. Or... No, no. He,
2: just, he went sightseeing. <laughs> yeah. he, uh, he spent the that night in a tourist cabin in Virginia uh, at some point, he picked up a hitchhiking sailor. Not with so a bus, there.
0: So he did. He did take passengers.
2: Oh, no, no, because it wasn't a passenger. It was a hitchhiker, huh? and it was in a stolen vehicle.
0: I just have this but- beautiful scene in my head <laughs> of like of like a beautiful like purple sunset, trees everywhere, a log cabin with smoke, and a giant bus parked outside. Right. Yeah.
2: I'm Just like yeah.
0: This is the life.
1: I I feel like the picking up of the hitchhiker was habit kicking in. (laughs) I feel like it was just like he had gone too long without picking up a passenger and he was like, just automatically just saw the guy and he was like, well, this is the stop.
0: Got to make it look good for the judge. (laughs) But
2: you know what? I mean, he just left DC. He's probably feeling a little patriotic. The guy was a sailor. So he's probably like, you know what? I'm going to help this veteran out. Mm -hmm. Hop on in, buddy. Where are you headed? I don't, I don't know where I'm going. So I'll take you wherever. Um, so, the, the next night, he stayed in a cabin in Georgia.
0: He's making good time.
2: He is. Um, he had replaced the sign on the bus that usually said subway with uh, the word special. Because you know how they have, like, the headings on the bus? So, it just said special. And anytime anyone's like, hey, buddy, where you going? He just goes, south. So, um... He he, like later when they they asked him about it, he's like something just happened to me when I pulled out of that garage. All of a sudden I was just telling myself, baby, this is it. I left town in a hurry. Somehow I didn't care where I went. I just turned the wheel to the left and soon I was on the highway. And I'm going to stop that quote there because I don't want to tell you where he ended up yet. Um, So he ended up driving through eight different states before he arrived in Hollywood, Florida that Sunday evening. Hell yeah. Excuse me. Excuse me, sorry, Sunday morning. Um, so uh, at this point, they still didn't know where he was. And Florida never got the APB. Florida was not included in the 11 states to look out for the bus. But at 7 a.m. on Monday, March 31st, some police found it sitting empty on the side of the road on U.S. Route 1, about two miles outside of Hollywood, Florida and not too far from the golf stream park racetrack so they only stopped because they were they were just bloody curious they're like what is this bus doing here from new york like <laughs> what in the world is happening so they were like just surrounding the bus and like looking inside like what the fuck so um they uh they did note that, that it was a locked bus it was in perfect shape they saw a brown jacket hanging on the back of the driver's seat, a sleeveless sweater, and a tan shirt that looked like it had been hand-washed and hung to dry inside the bus.
0: I like this guy so goddamn much. I really yeah. do. I want to give him a hug and ask advice from him.
2: Would it, <laughs> he gets so weird, though? Okay. So that bus would have sat there for days, probably, without anybody bothering him. <laughs> Except for the vice president of the Surface Transportation Company, Thomas Hackett, back in New York, received an urgent telegram at 8.34 a.m. It said, with disabled bus number 1310, stop. In need of $50, stop. Answer care of Western Union, stop. Send money to Hollywood, stop. Camillo.
0: Wait, he actually billed... (laughs) The people for ownership, I need 50 he bucks. He asked them
2: for money. He, he telegrammed them from a Western Union at a racetrack saying, I need 50 <laughs> bucks and I have your
0: bus. This fucking rock star.
2: I love it. This
0: motherfucking rock star. Here I am stressing out because I'm a little depressed. And I don't want to go into work tomorrow. I'm stressing out about that. Uh, and this dude just steals, steals like a quarter of a million dollar bus, drives it to Florida.
2: And then ask them for more money. Them, um,
0: oh, I got your he, bus. I need 50 bucks.
2: Well, he honestly, his, his reaction to this was like, I didn't think they'd hold a grudge against me because I was planning on returning the bus eventually completely unharmed.
0: Right? Right? You're going to get it back? Yeah. Kill your goddamn britches.
2: Oh, my goodness. I still, the balls on that was amazing. But, of course, instead of wiring cash, Vice President Hackett contacted the police, who then telegraphed their colleagues down in Hollywood to arrest him. So they had to plant men around the bus and also at the racetrack where the Western Union was because they figured he would at least be checking back over there to see if he had 50
0: bucks. More like Vice President Killjoy. Fuck you, buddy. Long, hard service to this company, and you won't even send me $50 after I steal your bus.
2: Well, and and the police did catch him at 6.30 p.m., a man fitting William's description, walked to the Western Union office to see if he had any money wired to him. He really thought that they were just going to send him some money. Uh, The officers approached him and and asked if he was William Camillo, and he said yes, and so they arrested him and put him in jail. And they asked if he placed any bets while at the racetrack, and he said that he didn't because he only had $2.60.
0: I'm sorry. (laughs) gambling's wrong.
2: He goes, of course I didn't. I'm broke already. Like,
0: (laughs) God, I love this guy. I really love this guy.
2: So, anyway, two New York detectives and a mechanic that worked on the bus were sent down to fetch the runaway driver and his bright red bus. But... According to Camillo, the mechanic didn't know how to drive the bus. It just keeps going. So uh, basically, they decided that since the mechanic really didn't know how to drive it and they were all scared that they were going to end up in a ditch or damage the bus, they let William drive them back to New York.
0: Oh, my God. Don't worry. I know the way. We're going to go to a little (laughs) town called Mexico. (laughs) Well, I need $50 before I start driving this, though.
2: So, first they got to Wil- Wilmington, Delaware, three days later, and William was a national hero. <laughs> Fuck yeah, he was. Everybody loved him. They're like, here's the common man that was just sick of the daily grind, and he just put his foot down. <laughs> he was a working class hero for all of us who are fed up in our daily lives. Um,
0: I understand so- I get it.
2: I fucking yeah. get it. I
1: think uh, if if I see a, a bulletin about a stolen bus tomorrow, I'm gonna say like eighty percent chance it's Scott, twenty percent chance it's Amber.
0: Now wait, you forgot about the three percent chance that it's Scott and Amber. <laughs>
1: that's I think that's more of a more of a.
0: I'd like say that's like a seventy percent chance. Like I'm gonna get a seventy percent. I'm gonna get a text yeah. at three a.m. tonight. You wanna? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yep,
0: yep. And I I know my wife's gonna like roll over, read the phone and goes, are you having an affair? No, Amber and I are just gonna steal a bus. It's okay, baby. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
2: Um, I do live right
0: next to the bus station.
2: Uh, oh, not, not on the recording Okay and, um, <laughs> So anyway they get to Willi- Wilmington, Delaware And the bus is surrounded by reporters Photographers, cameramen And they start insisting That he do a reenactment Of coming to Willi- Wilmington Because they really want to get this on camera And have like this big like huzzah Right So they agree to do this reenactment it Didn't work out the way they thought it was going to work out. So the cameras are rolling, the bus, and it just says with William aboard. So I wonder if they made the mechanic drive just for show, for this reenactment because that's kind of what it sounds like. Um, They were escorted through the city by a patrolman on a motorcycle and when they approached the Pennsylvania station, the motorcycle came to a stop. But the bus didn't. (laughs) (laughs) so the bus hit the patrolman and knocked him to the ground the driver was taken to the police station and the bus company had to pay for the damages to the motorcycle
0: should have just let the man drive to wherever the hell he was driving give him the 50 bucks for the racetrack
2: right so the next morning the bus emerges from the holland tunnel into manhattan and it stopped one block away from the police station to let off nine reporters and photographers who had jumped aboard back in Delaware to go for the <laughs> ride. So again, totally staged. They do like the last block on video. So it's, it's just like, huzzah, they've returned. Um, and they were met by hundreds of cheering people and a ton more reporters standing outside the police station. And it, it's then that it finally dawns on William that he's now a legend, like because he's like, all right, this is a little kooky, guys. I just went on a, just went on a drive.
0: All I but did was he- steal a bus and drive it all the way to Florida, and then right? then wire the person I stole the bus from for fifty dollars for the racetrack. Just your average everyday workabout thing.
2: People from around the country started sending him fan mail. <laughs> Like, he was getting fan mail. But he was still put in jail because, I mean, he stole a bus. Um, he was uh, booked on a charge of grand larceny, which carried a possible sentence of up to 10 years. But now the company realizes that he's a working class hero. And if the company presses charges, it's going to look real bad for them. So the company actually paid The $1,000 bail so that William could go home to his wife and three sons. Oh, my God. I love it. So (laughs) the company who put him in jail bailed him out to look better in the media. (laughs) But also, how pissed do you think his wife was? He might have been better off in jail. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're going to leave me here with these three boys? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I think Amber is projecting a little bit just then. <laughs> maybe. maybe.
2: <laughs> so, uh eventually the surface transportation company decided that they were not going to prosecute because no matter how they tried to spin it, it was not going to end well for them. I mean, this guy is now a freaking hero. He's doing like talk shows, he's all over the news, he's on the front page of every paper. No charges. <laughs> <laughs> Um, They did get him on a a couple different things. So on October 30th, they had fined him $25 on a bookmaking charge. And then on December 11th, another $200 fine for the same offense. Um, They suspended him for 30 days. and, And they were trying at first to make it seem like he was just maybe not as good of a person as the media was painting him to be. So they're like, oh, let's get him on these charges. Like he stole a little bit of money here and there. He was a gambler and let's let's throw this out to the media. And um it really wasn't working for them because they let it be known that he was a petty gambler. He owed $1,896 to various loan companies. They uh, announced that he had been suspended by the bus company three months early due to an inconsistency between the fares he collected and the account book that he had turned in. He was only suspended for one day, though, and then he was cleared of any wrongdoing. Um, And William admitted, he goes, I had a little trouble financially, and I wanted to get away and go somewhere to think it over quietly. I had no intention of stealing the bus. I just went for a (laughs) joyride. But the bad words in the press did almost nothing to change the public's perception. Like, the the drivers back at the bus terminal, his coworkers, voted and held a dance at the Bronx Winter Garden on May 1st to raise funds to pay off all of his debts and hire him the best lawyers. That is so, so much better than a GoFundMe. Right? So <laughs> it's the original GoFundMe. All of his coworkers are like, no, we got this guy. And they yeah. threw a massive fundraiser to make sure he didn't have any more debt to worry about, and that he could get the best legal counsel so that he would not spend any time in jail. So on April seventeenth, the bus company finally was like, Alright, William, you can have your job back, which that shocked me. I never thought they'd give him his job back. Like I was not surprised that they did eventually drop the charges, but I didn't think they'd hire him again.
0: That's a little um, bit of a surprise.
2: It is. They, they put him on a one-year probation, and he was back to work the very next day. He was given the same bus route, but they took his new bus away.
0: God damn it.
2: <laughs> so he still had a bus, just not the shiny new bus. I'm anymore.
0: sorry. It's like separating two lovers. That's wrong.
2: <laughs> but um, when he started showing back up for work, because everybody knew he was back at work, everybody in the Bronx wanted to be on his route, whether that was where they needed to go or not. Uh, on one occasion, over 300 high school girls mobbed his bus.
0: <laughs> oh my. They were
2: demanding his autograph.
0: Oh my God. Whenever, whenever you have high schoolers after you, you've just become like the PewDiePie of bus drivers.
2: Right? And they even said like during this, there was like three other buses behind him completely empty and ready to go and these girls were just only his bus. Like, we want your autograph, we want your bus. (laughs) So it was was pretty amazing. And then uh, September 14th of 1948, William made the news again. But this time it was because the company gave him an award for safe driving.
0: Made it all the way to Florida and back without an accident. Turns out it was was somebody else driving that ran over the cop.
2: He was one of over a thousand drivers to get the award, but uh, he was the only one, obviously, to make the papers for getting the award. (laughs) And then finally, on October (laughs) 16th of 1950, that is three years, six months, and 19 days after William sold the bus, they finally dismissed the larceny charge. Because I was hanging over his head this whole time. So, some little fun facts here. There was supposed to be a movie about Ah. this. They were rewriting it a little bit so Elizabeth Taylor could be in it as, like, the fun hot girl that was just along for the ride in the bus.
0: I'm a sailor. I need to take a trip. What can you do for me, Cary Grant?
2: But (laughs) They they had tentatively titled it The Busman's Holiday. So legend has it. Hollywood legend here. Elizabeth Taylor's third husband, Mike Todd, had been working on the script for this. The script was forwarded by airmail to Mike's office in California, but it didn't arrive because both Mike Todd and the script had gone down in two separate airplane crashes. Oh my god. Mike Todd was killed in a crash near Grants, New Mexico, and the script went down somewhere near Chicago. So this movie was just not destined to be made.
0: See, I've heard of, like, cursed movies before that never got made. Like, like A-Tuck. A-Tuck the Incomparable. This surprised me. I've never heard of The Busman's Holiday. But obviously, you would think, you would think there'd be some sort of, like, yeah, uh, the writer and the script went down in separate airplane crashes. you think there'd be something about it.
2: Well, in June of 1958, it was announced that Mike Todd's son, Mike Jr., and Elizabeth Taylor had set up a production company and that their first film would be titled busman's holiday. Taylor would not only star as a beauty queen in the film, but it would also mark the mark the first time that she ever sang on film. And it was supposed to be very loosely based on Williams bus excursion, but it never started. But apparently the script was actually eventually delivered to Mike Todd's office with the pages scorched and water stained.
0: I was just going to make a joke about the means scorched and water stained.
2: Yep. Yep. (laughs) They were really delivered that way. And they were like, we should do this. This is an omen. We should we should do this movie. And then they just never did. So in, in 1960, William was interviewed and uh, he said, this New York traffic gets you. It's like driving in a squirrel cage. And somebody's like, well, would you ever do something like that again? He goes, you tell somebody a joke a second time and it's not always so funny.
0: <laughs> next, right. t- next time I'm stealing an airplane.
2: <laughs> so, he continued to drive his bus as a superstar, no more wild stunts, and drove that bus for 16 more years before he passed away in September of ni- 1975. Wow. This dude was a legend.
0: They, yeah. they say on cold nights, around, around this time of year, as a matter of fact, on cold nights, If you wait at one of the bus stops, you can still hear his brass balls clanging together. Right?
2: (laughs) I love this guy. This was a feel-good crime, guys.
0: Absolutely.
2: Um, It was. (laughs) So my sources for this were uselessinformation.org by Steve Silverman, dustyoldthing.com by Rose Heichelbeck, and knowledgenuts.com, as well as a real quick calculation from measuringworth.com.
0: The useless it's my uh, ass. I, I feel like I've got some, got a couple ideas from this.
2: <laughs> well, I, I think we,
1: we, we know someone who relates very strongly. Very to this strongly story. to this. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Very strongly I relate to this man.
1: <laughs> and that, that's probably all we should say on a recording about that. Oh, my <laughs> I did that
2: drive in two days, not three.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go.
1: You were a little younger, you have more stamina. And
0: I,
2: had, I was in a car, not a bus. So And you had the
0: you had the head start of, you know, being further south than New York.
2: Hmm. I also didn't stop to eat in Jersey, so there's yeah, that.
0: There's the problem.
2: we <laughs> yep. Or go sightseeing in DC. <laughs> there was no sightseeing. No, no
0: sightseeing. I want everyone to note, at no point did Amber not say that she didn't pick up a sailor either. <laughs> she's not (laughs) refuting this either
1: (laughs) no no she's not all right Amber that was absolutely fantastic and you know what else is fantastic you our patrons you're wonderful and we appreciate so so much what you do for us it really does help more than you could possibly ever know and we really hope that you enjoy Uh, our contribution to you as far as these stories are concerned. So, and that one was, that one was one for the books guys. That was, that was fantastic. And a big shout out to new patron, Brandy Cole Edwards.
0: Oh, hello, Randy Cole. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, sounds like something. Sounds like something you put into the back of a train to make it go faster. This goddamn bituminous isn't bothering my shit. Throw the brandy coal onto the fire. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get this fucking train moving. Brandy, brandy coal. Uh, brandy coal. Throw that on the fire too. <laughs> but you know
2: what? That actually sounds like liquor. Like I think that sounds like a drink that I would really enjoy.
0: Brandy coal.
2: Like, I'm going to go to the bar and order a Brandy Cole. I'll have a I'll have Brandy Cole Edwards on the rocks, please. Mm. With a twist. With a <laughs> twist? Well, welcome, Brandy Cole Edwards.
1: So, uh, yeah. And then also there's, of course, our Facebook and Twitter where you can find uh, content related to the cases and sometimes content related to Scott's theories about where I might be if I'm missing from an episode. I that was
0: fucking uh, right.
1: <laughs> he was well, i saw an opportunity and i grabbed it actually jackson was like he was like this i this do that at the
2: bar and they tell me to leave yeah <laughs> so so yeah
1: uh i i made scott's prediction come true uh so yeah and the yeah content related to the case and or just come over and say hi you know just come over and and you know say hey old timey cut crimey crew you Can't say your own name,
2: but I'm saying hi. (laughs) That's because Scott and I tried to change the name of it last week. Uh. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I will go ahead and
1: lay the blame for that one on your feet. Yeah, absolutely. I have no problem with laying the blame for my inability to talk right on your your feet. Yeah, you can can carry that. So, so yeah, there's that. Uh, There's our Red Bubble where you can come and buy merch related to the show. That is also linked in the show notes. And uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe—the usual stuff. That is that. And uh, what are we all doing this week, guys?
0: I'm a. Uh, I'm. I'm just gonna lay down and pray that this week goes better than last week. La- last week was kind of a bitch.
1: I can't say the same. I was on vacation slash in jail.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I'll just call you a bitch then.
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) I am really not. uh, You you guys, I feel like are a little bitter that I left you for a week. I'm just getting called a. I've been called a bitch by both of you multiple times during this episode. I think think it was the first for me.
0: I think like this uh, should be a Pee Wee's Playhouse thing. Every time we say the word bitch, everybody's going, Ah.
2: I'm just imagining the couch starting to talk to me or something. Like maybe.
0: I if think maybe happens, you're working too hard or got yeah, the, just the yeah, right t- kind enough. of stuff. Yeah.
1: What are you doing this week, Amber? Aside from uh, apparently joining
2: in the, the Call Christia bitch craze. No, I'm just cranky. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I am um, probably drinking heavily, packing, working. Not all at the same time. Maybe at the same time. Who knows? Um, and yeah, just trying to get some of the crazy taken care of in my life. How about you? Um,
1: I don't have any particular plans except for, uh, today is actually, we are recording on the 4th of July. And so, uh, tomorrow, uh, we're actually having a barbecue, so that should be, uh, fun. Ooh. Looking forward to that. I made what, uh, now, I don't want to get expectations up too high, but I might have made the best pasta salad of my life. Uh-huh. Well. We'll, we'll see. I, I, and I get kudos for my pasta salad. It's like my signature dish. So, We'll see. We'll see. It, it's, the pasta salad, it needs time to settle. It needs time to absorb the dressing and everything. It's so always we'll, better on the second day. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So we'll find out tomorrow. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, I also have to take Hemingway to the vet because so we found a lump on his back.
0: Ooh. Which vet you taking him to?
1: Uh, we go down to Cambria Veterinary.
0: Okay. So, okay.
1: Uh, yeah, he, he had uh, lumps when we first found him. When we first took him in, he he had a, f- a couple of uh, – some sort of benign tumor that is actually more common in dogs, which really – it fits his general aesthetic of I'm t- almost a dog <laughs> that he has. He's very nearly a dog. And so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's possible it's just that, and I'm just keeping my fingers crossed because he's getting, he's getting up there a little
0: bit, yeah. but
1: he's, t- he's my, my weirdo.
0: I'll tell you what, I had just – not for not for nothing – I had a beautiful date with my wife today. Um, I know a lot of listeners are going, like, "Wait, you're married? Yes, to a black woman, nonetheless." It's, it's, Don't worry,
2: she would kick his ass yeah. if he stepped out of line.
0: Oh my God, she's <laughs> she's like eight and a half foot tall. Just she she's just amazing.
2: Kicks so down the, the door. I want snoo snoo. <laughs> Death by (laughs) snoo-snoo! Yeah, because the last time I saw her, she, like, picked me up and threw me in the air. I am... Like I might be a little petite, but I'm not petite enough that you can throw She's so that strong. woman can throw me. She is so strong. She's so strong. To be fair, Amber, you once literally
1: picked up me and another person, just wrapped an arm around each of us. The other person being a man, and just lifted us both off the ground.
2: Well, I I am definitely a death by snoo snoo woman, but yeah. I am a foot shorter than his wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we had we had this lovely date we went and got just a few couple things to eat like a nice little light dinner and we went to uh, forest hill cemetery and they have this beautiful beautiful little pond with a waterfall and lily pads the lily pads were blooming we sat on the bench and we threw bread at the fish we actually took like four slices of bread and we threw them at the fish it was fantastic they just came up and made kissing noises, sucking the bread down. <laughs> it was great. We had a blast.
2: I didn't realize I, think, I was at a cemetery. I saw the picture. Yeah. So did
1: I. I actually kind of assumed because there's there's a there there was a similar pond. I don't know if it's like that now, but there was one. Um at the the intersection of Fulmer and
2: Oh, uh, that cemetery.
1: Yeah, I I don't know what cemetery that is. I've honestly, I've driven past it a million times, never looked at the name, but I used to go up there and go for walks back when I was. I used to go
2: up there running. Yeah, that was a very nice one, too. It had lots of pretty benches Mm -hmm. and little areas. Um, Mm. But yeah, I can't remember the name of it either. Oh, my God. Yeah, I I know know what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) How many
1: times (laughs) have we both driven past that cemetery?
0: Like (laughs) a
2: lot. Actually, my my kids love when I take that way because they call it the roller coaster road because it's really windy and up and down and I go fast enough to make the wheels leave.
0: This little section um, is for all the Johnstown listeners. (laughs) <laughs> yeah
2: but like they call it the roller coaster road because it's a super fun road and i drive it way too fast i shouldn't admit that but um they they think it's just like a hoot so i drive that all the time yeah when i when i drove that road
1: too fast i ended up uh very nearly meeting a with, meeting with a tree
0: so uh i don't I've done
2: that before too <laughs> good news yeah, you're close
0: to a cemetery <laughs> it's, <gonna> be, <laughs> right. it's conveniently located yes
1: all right. So that has been our show for this week. We really hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back on the normal uh, material uh, next week. And uh, if you liked what you heard, check out the Patreon one more time. Patreon.com slash crimey over 80 tinies and a whole bunch of extra extras over there for your enjoyment.
0: There's more so, where this came from.
1: Exactly. So uh, thank you for your filthy words and uh, be nice to each other also. So bye.
0: Bye.
2: Bye. Did you throw that last part in because we were calling you the B word? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. That was very new to me, so I didn't know any of that.
0: (laughs) No, that's okay.
2: Thank you for the clip notes, Tiny. No problem.
0: No <laughs> it's problem. a tiny
2: tiny. <laughs> it's a tiny tiny. I love your it, tiny tiny. Old Mike. Yeah, well, oh I boy. don't.
0: No, no. 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 No, on two levels. No, you do not say that. And no, that is not true. <laughs> oh
2: no, that was fun. I like it. Um, <laughs>